0: Ladies and gentlemen, I just watched something that absolutely floored me. Alan Dershowitz is an American scholar of the Constitution of the United States. And he had some very alarming words to share about forced vaccination. To weigh in on this, we have constitutional law attorney Jenna Ellis, who's a part of Trump's uh, campaign as well as personally on his team, uh, she's an expert in constitutional law. She's also a part of the Falkirk Center with me. Uh, Jenna, so glad to have you on with me today to to give us an explanation of what Alan has to share. Now, I shared this video with you yesterday. Uh, and uh, let's just show the video really quick so it's fresh in your mind and so that all of, uh, all of our viewers know exactly what it is that we are talking about. Put it very clearly. You have no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread a disease
1: even if you disagree you have no right not to be vaccinated you have no right not to wear a mask you have no right to open up your business wait if, can
0: i stop you state, Did, yeah no right state, not to be vaccinated meaning if they decide yeah, you have to be vac- vaccinated we have to be vaccinated
1: absolutely and if you refuse to be vaccinated the state has the power to literally take you to a doctor's office and plunge a needle into your arm if the Where is that in the Constitution? Is to prevent, if the vaccination is designed to prevent the spreading disease, if the vaccination is only to prevent a disease that you will get, for example, if there's a disease that will kill you, you have the right to refuse that, but you have no right to refuse to be vaccinated against a uh, contagious disease. Public health, the police power of the Constitution, gives the state the power to compel that, and there are cases
0: in the United States Supreme Court. Wow. Jenna, there were some very alarming things in there. As a constitutional law attorney, uh, is what Alan Dershowitz just shared factual?
1: Well, so Alan uh, is getting way ahead of himself, and he's also characterizing this, I think, in the opposite way of how we need to do a constitutionally when he frames it as Uh, first an absolute. Uh, Well, there's nothing in, in the law, really, that's absolute. It always depends on the specific facts and circumstances. But also he's approaching this as saying, you have no right. You have no right. That is fundamentally not how we approach constitutional law issues. The question here is, does the government have the power? That's the question. And he is right that there are some cases back to 1905 that uh, do suggest that the government in some instances can uh, regulate a mandatory vaccination. However, uh, the the medical science on this and whether or not the current composition of the Supreme Court is going to uphold that particular argument and say that, yes, if uh, state and local governors wanted to implement a mandatory vaccine, we're going to go ahead and allow them, that's going to turn on whether or not uh, the science is backed up in a vaccine uh, what effectiveness rate it is if there's any um, sort of particular harm that uh, may or may not be associated with a vaccine so all of these are still open questions and i think how he frames it is really more of a, a fear-mongering in all honesty and this is unusual for alan dershowitz and it may just be that his um, to him it's not really as much of an open question as the rest of uh, of, of constitutional law attorneys, I agree that it is very much an open question. But my concern really, David, is that uh, when we know that President Trump has been for personal liberty and freedom, he is for federalism. He has never said anything about having the federal government require a vaccine. So my concern is whether the state and local leaders are going to require it in their states and make it mandatory there. And so the question will be whether or not they have the power under uh, not only the U.S. Constitution, but the state and local provisions. And that's going to depend on the state. So I think that that's really the more appropriate question. And certainly, we as Americans fundamentally, need to challenge this if it reaches that level.
0: So he said we have no constitutional right not to get vaccinated. That is a far overreach of what you're saying could potentially take place if that this COVID-19 was deemed, uh, a vaccination was deemed necessary in the interest of public health. It could happen, uh, but that's where he's coming from with that.
1: Yeah, so there's use uh, you know, so of the police power in terms of health, safety, and welfare I mean, and mean to end the public welfare doctrine uh, would suggest that the government does have uh, specific limited powers that they can enforce uh, certain regulations that are reasonable. And even that case in 1905 used that term of reasonable. And so this uh, type of case, if it got to this level, would really turn on whether or not Um, The government in the state and local level has the constitutional authority as part of their police power, as part of the public welfare doctrine, and I think that Americans are definitely going to step back up and challenge that and uh, and say, you know, this is an invasion of our bodily integrity. It's an invasion of privacy. It's definitely um, something that is medically invasive. Um, You're not talking about, you know, a swab in the mouth. You're you're talking about um, an injection that breaks the, the skin, arm. goes into the bloodstream. Yeah, you're talking about something that definitely is medically a medically invasive procedure. And so even though um, the court back in 1905 uh, didn't ultimately in the 72 de- decision take uh, those arguments of bodily integrity in that context, I think it'll be very interesting to see uh, what the courts would do in a 2020 situation. And frankly, I think uh, from a constitutional vantage point, that's something that that' whole thrust and pattern of case law should be overturned because we as Americans for something like this, it's definitely not reasonable to say that the state should be able to force us to take a vaccine. It's like forcing us to take the flu shot. We, we never do it, uh, you know, people, and not to compare, you know, and go into that whole like flu versus COVID or anything, we know that uh, the coronavirus is not the flu, but just as a comparison with uh, the flu shot, a lot of people, especially high-risk individuals, will take the flu shot, uh, but they do so voluntarily. And still, a lot of people contract the flu um, you know, every year. And and that's OK. We understand that it's personal risk. It's a personal decision. And so those types of bodily invasive uh, regulations and procedures are a far, far different constitutional contemplation than, for example, requiring uh, wearing a mask in public or that type of thing.
0: So for some of these Democrat governors that have the most, it's in my eyes, tyrannical uh, lockdown orders, I just interviewed uh, the salon owner in Oregon, um, Lindsey Graham, that had to shut down her salon, reopened it. Um, she was threatened with fines. She had OSHA come into her facility. She had CPS show up at her door saying that they had uh, learned that she may be endangering her three small children, 10 uh, 10 weeks old, 3 years old, and 6 years old, and then they interrogated. I, I called it an interrogation because they asked to talk to the 6-year-old son uh, by himself with no parent present. Uh, the, the governors, Kate Brown in this case, in Oregon, that are that are initiating these type of measures, what they hear Alan Dershowitz say here is something that could inflame this situation all that, all that much more.
1: Yeah, and I think that it was a really presumptuous of uh, of Alan Dershowitz because we're not even there yet. I mean, President Trump has said that a vaccine um, is likely, and we're you know we're taking measures um, as the federal government toward uh, that end. But that is just way overstepping, and to, to characterize it as an absolute and even those inflammatory terms of saying you know people can the state can just drag you out of your home and you know, take you to doctor's office and plunge a needle. I mean, those are all very uh, specific words to inflame uh, fear in people to say, whoa, this is potentially going to actually happen to me. And the better course of action is to take this step by step. And even um, as we've been doing, David, I mean, you know, you and I talk through the Falkirk Center uh, quite a lot about, you know, our liberties and the constitution and all of these things that are going on that touch and concern the family and our. Religion, those things. And, you know, initially, uh, as a constitutional law attorney, I gave pretty wide latitude to a uh, state and local leaders to say, hey, this is temporary. Um, this is a very unique situation, not completely unprecedented. But this is a unique situation and temporarily to um, enforce some of these stay at home Orders uh, did, in my view, meet the constitutional parameters, but the longer this goes on and the more extreme the measures that the states are enacting, that they don't really have a genuine constitutionally sound reason uh, that meets the standard of the compelling interest test or even a rational basis for it, uh, then I don't think that Alan Dershowitz or any of us who are constitutional law attorneys can come out and say, absolutely.
0: It's pretty disheartening to see that these uh, measures have taken effect in so many uh, areas around, like so many states around the country, forcing millions of Americans out of work and forced to not even go back to work. Um, but to hear, again, just to, just to cap this off, he said that there are Supreme Court cases. I think you already mentioned the one in 1905. Uh, it'd be a good time probably to revisit these cases with new, current, updated uh, clarifications To make sure that the American public doesn't feel threatened with big government or local state government coming in, dragging them out of their home, down to a public health facility, and plunging, as Alan said, a needle into their arm to vaccinate them for the sole purpose of trying to keep the rest of everybody else safe. It sounds a lot like socialism to me.
1: Well, yeah, and it just sounds like a tyrannical overreach. I mean, we uh, understand that freedom and liberty inherently means some assumption of the rest. And just like you have, you know, helmet safety laws, you have speed limits, you have, you know, all of these things, the government doesn't say, well, we are going to make sure to babysit you every step of the way and make sure that we put, um, you know, a function on your car that doesn't allow you to speed. We are never in the, in the business of 100% prevention. We are uh, we are in the in the business in government um, of saying that they have specific limited powers, but that power isn't absolute, and it goes only so far. And so, what these Democrat tyrannical authoritarian leaders want is more and more and more power in order to tell you and me and the rest of America, I can decide better for you, and you can't look at all of the information and then make a competent decision, we're gonna make it for you. And Alan suggests that this is different because it's not just like, for example, a helmet safety law where um, if I get in an accident, where it really determines my outcome. But we don't always look at that uh, analysis when we're talking about other regulations, like for example, a DUI. I mean, there, of course it is, um, it is illegal to drink over the legal limit and drive but we don't prevent that in every situation we punish that when that happens and when we can prove all of the uh, the standards of law that are involved and when that particular action is criminalized and so to suggest that the state would impose any sort of criminal penalty potentially, or even civil penalty, like not being able to uh, join in the free marketplace um, and and conduct business. I mean, that's really a civil financial penalty. Then that is for the government to prove, and it's their burden to prove, how that would possibly be constitutional. It's not up for us to say, well, we have to um, argue that it's our right not to. The government has to prove, if it ever gets there, the government would bear the standard of proof to show um, and the burden to show that they, that's within the scope of their limited authority.
0: You know, the scary thing is, is when you hear what something like what Alan Dershowitz shared, and you understand and see what so many of these Democrat governors are doing around the country in states where, like Oregon, again, is an example, they're ranked 40th on the list of COVID 19 infection cases, uh, yet they have continued to. Kate Brown has said that she's going to keep her state locked down. Until July, uh, there's word that she may start to open up certain counties, but when you understand the absolute oversight, overreach of these government agencies, these politicians, it's you don't have to stretch your imagination or, 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 you know, you don't have to fake anything to understand and see that it's mostly Democrat governors that are doing this. What do you really think is behind it, and where do you think that it could potentially wind up uh, going, especially as we lead up to November 3rd?
1: Yeah, and I'm really glad you asked that question, David, because uh, we're seeing that the, the Democrats are using the coronavirus um, as a pretext or as uh, just a manipulative way to change the rules. And the number one way that they're doing that is uh, to depress the economy because that was President Trump's. Uh, largest uh just momentum going into this year and so to see that 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 they're continuing these lockdown orders that really don't have any sort of compelling interest. they're definitely not narrowly tailored i mean they're just getting more and more difficult to prostitutionally how they're sound, there's no reason for them to do this from a scientific standpoint or even from a, um, a whole universe of all of the factors involved. This is a multivariable situation. And the HHS Secretary Azar even talked about this earlier today in an interview where he was saying that, you know, health safety uh, isn't just about protecting people from the coronavirus, it's about all factors. That includes economic, that includes mental health, that includes financial, all of these things. So the Democrats are very clearly just wanting to depress the economy as a talking point. And the response to that, by the way, is this is, uh, you know, the coronavirus, we know it came from China, um, and this was unleashed on the world. So who would you rather vote for to rebuild the economy from this point? The president who's already done it once, who has a high approval rating, higher than President Obama at this point in time, going into his second term election? and who's someone who's a proven successful businessman, he'll do it once, um, if he did it once, he'll do it again. Or would you rather uh, put in the Democrats um, and the, the almost socialist who has had a 40 year track record of doing nothing and is currently hiding out in his basement doing nothing? So um, so I think the trust is very clear. But the other thing, David, the second part of this is that uh, the Democrats are using the coronavirus also as a pretext to uh, try to push for changes in election laws around states to uh, advocate for nationwide mail-in voting that is ripe for fraud it's ripe for ballot manipulation and two democrat congressmen even put an op-ed in my home state colorado the denver post just the other day um, over the weekend, uh, talking about how the coronavirus uh, necessitates mail-in voting. And so this is something where the Democrats just always want to manipulate and change the rules when it advantages them. And that's really where they're headed in November. And uh, we just can't let that happen.
0: You know, it, it reminds me of a chapter in my book where I talk about the new KKK. Uh, I talk about how the KKK of the 1800s Uh, they were all about domination manipulation and control and the issue with what I see the current Democrat uh, the current Democrat and the mainstream media they're all about the same thing domination manipulation and control and now we're actually seeing it play out with the the COVID-19 response the reaction to that the pandemic uh, and the mainstream media Democrats are complicit They are all about trying to dominate, manipulate, and control, I believe, the outcome of an election that they know they cannot win. The only way they could win is to try to uh, completely try to cheat, use mail-in voter fraud as a way to do that, get people to stay home, not show up. And uh, I I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to lose anyway, regardless of what they do.
1: Well, and this is just a a fundamental uh, philosophical difference between how the Democrats view the purpose of government versus conservatives and actually what the Constitution mandates. And so for the Democrats, it's all about this elitism and the overreach of power because we see that they have dismantled and they're, they're trying to dismantle in the culture, the church authority and the family authority and the individual's authority and all of the specific powers that are within those spheres of government. And so the civil government is meant to be very, very limited. But the Democrats and the liberal left don't think that. They don't believe in the the traditional family. They don't believe in the church. Um, And so all they believe in is the power of government. And so they are taking a a chapter and a play from actually the Communist Manifesto that talks about undermining all of these uh, traditional uh, entities and the separation of, of power. The church, the family and the civil government and having individual freedom and liberty to make our own choices and uh, make sure that we are doing what we determine is best for ourselves and our families and have a moral premise to that. And they are just wanting to increase a totalitarian system and an authoritarian system so that they can then control Americans. And we've seen that that's I mean, that's essentially the Chinese Communist Party. And so, um, you know, Team Trump has put out a lot of information about how Joe Biden is basically hand in hand with the chinese communist party and that's really what we're up against in november is this distinct vote between freedom or tyranny that's what it comes down to
0: yeah that is pretty much what it boils down to well jenna i i know i don't forget how booming this economy was you know lowest unemployment rate for the black community ever in history in this country uh, lowest unemployment rate for Hispanic the uh, Hispanic community, the Asian community, more jobs and more women working than 50, 60 years uh, ago or since 50, 60 years. It was an absolutely booming economy from a president that knows how to get the job done, knows how to create wealth, and is doing it on behalf of the American people and is doing it for free. He is my choice for president this year and I really hope Americans don't forget all that he's done to create the economy before this pandemic and I absolutely believe that he is exactly who we need after we get through this pandemic. Final question. How important is religious liberties well at a time like this facing this pandemic or so-called pandemic? I think the pandemic now is, is inflamed and worse because of the reaction response to the virus. But how important are religious liberties during a time like this?
1: Incredibly important and you know I've said from the very beginning when we've seen some of these lockdown orders come out and some of the um, requirements of church moving online and um, and some of the initial challenges that the longest lasting impact of the coronavirus is going to be the court precedent. And so it's always important that we make sure to protect and preserve religious freedom along with the other freedoms that are specifically enumerated in our Bill of Rights, but all of our freedoms and liberties, and to make sure that no uh, instance and no uh, pandemic or no other circumstance in America's history will ever override uh, the the government's uh, responsibility to preserve and protect our rights rather than infringe on our rights. And so it's my hope that uh, the courts will continue to make the originalist constitutionally sound decisions, particularly for religious freedom and uh, religious liberty. And this is why it's so important to for President Trump, because he has put on the federal bench over 200 originalist judges, including two Supreme Court justices, and with another four years, imagine how many more uh, we will be able to put on the bench that will look at the Constitution, apply it fairly appropriately, and with the original intent for which it was designed.
0: And I think a prime example of uh, why we need to replace some of these activist judges is the judge in Dallas that threw Shelly Luther in jail, the salon owner, that decided to open up her business, basically demanded an apology from her, uh, and then decided to slap her with a fine and throw her in jail. Uh, I don't think he was interpreting the Constitution as an originalist would, and he's just the type of judge, in my opinion, that, uh, that we don't want filling our courts, and the president is doing the exact opposite with his with his, with his uh, judge picks, especially our SCOTUS picks. So Jenna, yes. thank you so much for weighing in on this for hopefully uh, clarifying some of what Alan Dershowitz said. We truly hope that uh, the states, and again, if you live in a state controlled by, by, by Democrats, you never know what they may do, but we truly hope that they don't push this agenda to try to push a mandatory vaccination on all of us. But well, God bless you, Jenna. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me, David.
0: All right. Bye bye. Friends, please share this. America needs to know exactly what is at stake. America needs to know exactly what the agenda of the left could be. We need real politicians that actually support and have our best interest in mind. Please do me a favor and share this episode with 25 friends. I'd mean it. 25 friends. Email, text message. Do whatever you can do to get this message out. Once again, my show is sponsored by MyPillow with Mike Lindell. His pillows, his sheets, his towels are all amazing. I have all of them and truly enjoy them. Please use the code David at MyPillow.com and you'll save up to 60% on your order. God bless you. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.